Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. We are doing another Observations podcast. This is Observations. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining me. We uh, we talk comics, pop culture, movie, toys. We've even talked records, power records. There's an episode on this. Yes, there is. Um, I have been making my uh, way in comic books as a fan since uh, 1975 and as a professional for the past 35 years. I love comics. Um, I hope comics loves me. I say that with a big smile. Um, comics have been very, very good to me. Uh, we are going to continue on this journey where we have found ourselves smack dab in the uh, very early 1990s. We are going to be in 1990, 1991 today as we're knocking on the door of 1992. And for me, 1992 is Image Comics. So for all intents and purposes, we are going to refer to this uh, section segment as the secret secret origin of image comics because this is where we start putting all the building blocks together and where you're going to see like maybe stuff you've never heard before uh, conversations alliances movements that were starting to shape what you would know as the number three comic book company uh, of the last uh, 20 you know eight years however long and uh, and and at one point and that'll be a great episode. We were the number two comic company with seven comics. Yes, we were. The number two comic company with seven comics. And if you don't think that was the shot heard around the world, you um, are kidding yourselves. You, you, you'll be excited to hear all this. Uh, we have been, again, walking through comics. Uh, my vantage point is from the 70s as a fan from the 70s. And we have carried through. And I just encourage you always go to my back catalog. It's posted on my website where I put news and notes, and you're going to want to see those from this episode. Um, pictures, uh, so visual references of everything that I am discussing with you. Uh, they're also on, on iTunes, on Spotify, on, on Podbean. I think we're on iHeartRadio. Uh, we are just all over the place uh, with this podcast, trying to reach you to give you some entertainment in, in regards to your uh, love of comics, because hopefully it matches my love of comics. I am sitting here discussing comics because I love it. It's been my therapy. This is great, and 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 getting to the point where again my my fandom transfers to my to my professional career at this point in 1991. I have been fortunate to be published for uh, four years, maybe broken in for about four and a half, nearly five years. But my first published work gets right in under the deadline in 1987 so that would but that was just one uh group of marvel universe handbook uh selections if you don't know what that is it's the zodiac the book of the dead marvel did and i did all of the zodiac characters and that was technically my first commissioned work it was published in 1987 it was uh commissioned while jim shooter was still the editor-in-chief which is why i'm able to tell so many people i have worked under jim shooter uh, Tom DeFalco, there was a brief period where there was a five-headed editorial beast, which included Bob Harris, Mark Grunewald, Bobby Chase. Then there was Bob Harris. Then there was Joe Quesada. Then there was Axel Alonzo. And there's currently C.B. Cebulski. Seven editor-in-chiefs have I worked with in my time in uh, in comic books. So it's it's interesting to see how you know uh, each of their tenures shapes so much of what's going on in the comics industry because none of them are alike. Uh, Jim Shooter was extremely visionary. Tom DeFalco was extremely enabling. He would 
see something like, well, let's do Spider-Man with with three covers and and watch it sell him three million. Let's follow that up with um with X Force and 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 ride this kid Liefeld and 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 you know trading cards in there at the same time and 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 do that to five million. Let's let's ride this Jim Lee guy, okay? And and get eight eight million copies sold of X-Men number one. That is what Tom DeFalco uh, I, I just remember him more as uh, anything goes. I'm calling it enabling. It's not an insult. It led to a ridiculously profitable period. Um, and and it, look, profits matter, but you don't get the profit without the connection. So uh, 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 a period where comic books connected with a larger audience in a massive, um, gigantic way. And Marvel saw huge eyeballs um, either returned to or added to their lineup. Again, we, we discussed how the X-Men books were already at the top of the food chain, but they were getting their heels, uh, you know, pecked at by the Spider-Man office and Jim Salakrup and his band of, uh, of, of crazy misfits of which I was already one, but I decided to hang my misfit hat in the X-Men office. And that's where we punched through Mutant Genesis, Summer of X, got so many of these books launched at the most ridiculous, um, uh, point of of connection with fans, the biggest number of eyeballs, um, the biggest the biggest exposure. And again, that's when I when I tell people, I tell them so often, it's it's the eyeballs um, that that we are able to reach that is more important. You know, I, I've I've had people say, I bought your comic, I gave it to my um, my friends, and they and they um, read it and, and that's eyeballs. Okay. That's, that's when that comic travels, uh, somebody as decorated, as brilliant, as talented as, um, comics, Mark Miller, M I L L A R pronounced Miller like Frank, he of, uh, you know, uh, uh, civil war. And then of course, currently the magic order from Netflix. He's, uh, my, 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 my favorite thing he's ever done is probably wanted. Um, he didn't run on the authority. Uh, he he did, of course, the Kingsman. Mark told me in the middle of the 2000s, as we were becoming friends, that he would give my specific uh, comics that I did to, to kids in the neighborhood. Um, he would always, he actually, the exact uh, story he told me in a, in email is that he would put those, he'd put a pile of comics out for people to read and they'd always take the Liefeld comics. But that is what I'm talking about in regards to carrying, you know, a book um, that you bought that is on your shelf that my nephew then, in my, in my case, will come over and he'll read and he'll take and he'll consume and he'll then suddenly become a fan. That is eyeballs. And eyeballs, there is no radical measurement. But if you know that you sold millions of copies, you're already at the jump of getting many, many, many more millions of eyeballs. And that's what the guys who, who we have referred to as Dow Boys by uh, Mr. Todd McFarlane, that the, the, the core of Image Comics, which was Liefeld, Larson, Lee, you know, uh, McFarlane, Potashio, Valentino, Silvestri. Uh, we had the eyeballs. We had the attention. We, we've already covered how Marvel thought it was the gimmicks, how it could be replicated, how they could be a, put an uh, animated cell sheet on cage number one or put claws tearing through a cardstock cover and, and, and be the top and, and continue that milling selling, um, trend. And, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's just a fact that the, that, that there is, there is some, there was some alchemy going on there, man. There was some magic. There was some, we had a connection with fans that signal got boosted and we sold the most books, but what do you do? Well, okay, and now I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, Paint, paint for you the picture that I'm sure you'll be like, oh, poor little rich artists. I mean, just like we hear about athletes and oh, they're, they're big giant contracts 
and oh, this guy's sad and he wants to move and, 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 and this athlete that's making, you know, $28 million a year is not happy. Okay, well, most people would just be, be happy with uh, one, one of the uh, zeros on that million dollar check, right? Um, but, but we have to hear about how they, they're not happy in, in Miami and they need to go home, okay? So all sorts of drama plays out for us or actors and their giant paychecks and they won't come back and they won't do a follow-up without certain um, stimuli, you know, certain, certain expectations. And then there's times you read where a studio or uh, uh, is going to hire an unknown and that makes them extremely happy. Uh, an unknown, there are unknowns booked every week and those unknowns are getting like uh, the, the, the most basic uh, uh, scale so, so it makes them cheap, super cheap for the studio so they can spend more on special effects and, and maybe throw more money at a director um, or marketing or whatever. But that money is definitely getting kicked up towards some other aspect of the movie, not going into that actor's pocketbook, especially when that actor is um, getting their first work portraying maybe a popular um, um, superhero character. There are some new faces coming all the time and they get signed for a base minimum and, and they're not getting the Tom Cruise $30 million a picture, which already saddles your production with, with so much. And, uh, and then we read about those athletes and the clubs that are so excited to get the guy on a rookie contract for X amount of years because they're just going to be paying him the minimum before he and his agents ask for the big shakedown money, which they, where they want the big giant multi-million dollar contract. We've all read about it, baseball, football, hockey, basketball, all of it. And we've all seen it in movies, in comic books. Um, the, 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 the image guys, the guys you would know as the image guys were, we were at it for, uh, an extended period of time being extremely, extremely competitive and, and being, uh, uh, you know, putting our best foot forward. There was no question that when I did my X-Force work that I put my best foot forward when I was given uh, the, the the New Mutants book um, and eventually transformed it into X-Force. It was on the back of the characters that I introduced and that I pitched. You got to remember, and, and we'll revisit this probably uh, because it, it, it's going to kind of help shape where we are now because there is some great comparisons between comics then and comics now. But but I would, uh, I would pitch Cable. I would pitch Deadpool. I would pitch Domino. I pitched Shatterstar. Okay, I pitched the name change for Warpath, uh, who was previously just, you know, Thunderbird's brother. Uh, I pitched Farrell. I pitched Gideon. I pitched Strife. This is how it works. I would sit there. I'd pitch them. They would accept it. Or they'd say, hey, no, that's too close to something else. That never got said to me, but that's possibly what could be said when they are not, you know, turning your characters down. Jim pitched Omega Red. He pitched Maverick. He pitched the Acolytes. Okay. That's how he shaped his tenure on X-Men. I know more about X-Men because I was there. I was part of the constant conversations. Wills Protasio pitched Bishop. Okay. These characters were introduced. They lit a new fire. You identified those characters with us because they came from us. And we got the resulting excitement and the resulting eyeballs. And um, for somebody, uh, again, go going back to the Todd McFarlane call that I've spoken of earlier in different um, in different podcasts, when Todd would say, when, 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 when Todd would, uh, would, would, would call me up and go, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Why, why are you creating all these characters? Um, you know, what, 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 other people are like, you know, asking, well, where's your characters? You're making us look bad. That's not a direct... Todd imitation. I don't, I don't, I don't have it. I'm not, I'm not feeling it at, at this juncture. Maybe I'll work up to it a little later, but, but the entire, like, what are you doing that for? And, and, and I'm going to get back to you. 
Those are great contracts. Jim Shooter, part of what he did as an editor-in-chief is he introduced the aspect of where you would be a participant in whatever you created. Little Robbie Liefeld, 21-year-old Robbie Liefeld, read that contract and said, so this gives me an option to plant trees. And if those trees bear fruit, I will participate in that fruit for the rest of my days, for the rest of my lives. And yes, that extends to when I'm not doing a Deadpool comic and someone else is. I will participate in that. That sounds like a good deal to me. That is the deal that I read. That is the context that I read it. I understood correctly. So I went all in on maybe... You know, maybe a couple of these work. Maybe one or two of these is a Wolverine and goes the distance and is a great legacy play. That's what I was thinking when I would introduce those characters. And, you know, how great would it be that that you planted a tree that would be uh, that would that, that would always bring fruit to you? And, you know, this week alone, I bought more Deadpool and Cable toys. It has been a banner year. I know 2020 has been a really rough year on all of us. The pandemic was something that none of us saw coming. It, it, it stopped society as we know it. We had to learn to evolve and, and adapt. And we've changed the way we lived. And there's been fears and there's been concerns. And as a father myself, I have had that uh, moment, especially early on in, 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 in mid-March, sitting there going, how is this going to affect my family, my kids, college, their education, their future? Um, very deep and troubling uh, times. We've all had it. Um, part of the uh, way that has, has cheered me up at times is seeing the enormous amount uh, of, of Deadpool, Cable, X-Force merchandise and toys that, that continues to pour out following the, uh, the, 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 the standard and the norm that was set uh, in, in 1991 when they all first hit your major big box stores when X-Force toys in 1992 were at Walmart. And they were, you know, multiple pegs. And when they were in Target and, and Toys R Us and KB Toys and Toy City, where, so many different outlets that I encountered them out. But they were mass market toys, not direct market toys, mass market toys available to the direct market, certainly. But when you walk into a Target and you saw characters that did not exist, you know, two years ago in plastic, um, great molds, those first X-Force toys are fantastic. If you got them, you know them, you know how much they excited. Imagine being the guy that created them and, and, and being as excited. Imagine my excitement seeing Shatterstar and Gideon and Bridge and Kane, okay, and Strife and Deadpool and Domino, all toys and all those cables, scuba gear cable, um, space cable, uh, adventure cable, jungle cable, um, you know, peel the face away cable, whatever they called them. So, so, so I've, I've, I've mentioned before how the toy biz guys, uh, met with me and said, you get the, the hardware and the software. Abhi Arad going, this is wonderful. This is great. I like you. I like you. And I'm like, I like you. I like that you make all these toys of my stuff. That's cool. So, in 1991, I am drawing on my table uh, issue um, one, X-Force number one, and uh, in the in late, late, late in the afternoon. And Bob Harris called. He would always kind of stay at the office in New York, 6, 6.30, catch a late train to go home. Uh, so getting a call from him at 3, 3.30 was not uncommon. Uh, he, 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 he knows now he's got a bunch of West Coast guys. And he said, Rob, Bob. That's how he talked. Rob, Bob, Rob, Bob. And uh, how you doing? How you doing? And I said, great. He goes, uh, just, just thought you would know that the uh, the second wave of X-Men toys is going to have an X-Force line. And I was like, what? And I, again, in front of my table is a page with X-Force and the team battling the Mutant Liberation Front. This is early on, the early 10 pages of X-Force. 
And now I'm being told that these characters are going to be plastic. Uh, and, and you guys know I love my toys, my G.I. Joes, my Star Wars action figures, you know, my Planet of the Apes, all my Mego dolls, okay? Um, toys is, is where I live. It's where I breathe. And I just felt like it was a different level to suddenly have these drawings cable from my head to the page, Deadpool, Shatterstar, now are going to live in plastic as, 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 as action figures. And he goes, yeah, Ben, I, I thought you want to know the, uh, the toy biz people, they came in through the offices and they were looking for designs and they saw all the X-Force stuff. This is Bob Harris again, speaking to me. And he said, so, uh, so you're in your own line. And I said, Bob, that, how is that possible? I just thought they were going to go like, like through the years, they're going to start like, like with the X-Men and you're going to get more like, like different costumes and different characters. And, and you're going to get a rogue before you get a cable or, or, you know, you're going to get a, a pyro before you get a cable or you're going to get a Wendigo or you're going to get some days of future past figures. Um, you're going to get some dark. Fi- nope. They're, they they did an early first wave Cyclops, Wolverine, all the basics, Iceman. And now you're getting as part of the second wave straight to X-Force. They are jumping you right into the here and the now. And that was exciting. And I do remember just being so thrilled, but also being, um, well, I, I was a little taken back and by taken back, I meant I lost my breath a little. My heart was racing. Uh, I, I hung my phone up and, and, and I, I said to, to my buddy Marat, who shared the studio with me, I said, I, I, I'm a toy designer. I, I'm a toy designer. Now, was I full of it? Was I full of myself? Probably, yes. I mean, who says that? I'm a toy. But it's, 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 it's the way I was expressing it is I can't believe that these are going to be toys. X-Force 1 is not on the stands. But again, if you know about toys and manufacturing, you got to get that toy one year in advance. You got to sculpt the toy. First, you pick the toy. You design the toy with drawings, turnarounds. Then you sculpt the toy. Okay. Then the toy goes for manufacturing which or tooling, tooling, which gives you the amount of joints. Does the el- Do the elbows move? Do the wrists move? Do the, you know, does the waist turn? Okay. Goes to tooling. See how many points of articulation are going to be on that toy. Get that approved because that's part of the budget. That's a couple nickels. That's a couple pennies. No, I'm not kidding. Sometimes the difference between a toy you like and a toy you don't like is five cents. And that's where later in his career, Todd McFarlane punches through going, I'm willing to spend the extra five cents on every toy that maybe toy company X isn't going to do because it gives me a better product. And and yes, he, he would say, Rob, that is why the, these, these other toys are not getting the levels of articulation is because they won't put out that extra what amounts to five cents a toy. And, you know, Todd is always, was always really good with the numbers. And well, then you just price this a little more and you make up for that expenditure of five cents per toy. And he guided me early on when I was getting a lot of convention uh, invitations. And he would say, Rob, I, I just had them fly every member of my family in. And uh, you know what? I told him, raise the price. Raise the price at the ticket at the at, 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 at you know at the convention by a dollar a dollar a dollar uh, a ticket is going to cover what I'm asking and you're not out of pocket and he said you should do the same thing and get get this guy he'll 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 bring all your friends and all your family and true enough summer of 1991 I flew me and all my college buddies to Florida and I told the guy this is what it's going to cost you and come on man it's just just add a dollar to the ticket and and again that was Todd coaching me through being more comfortable finding my value and finding my worth. 
but these toys they're coming but they need a year in advance because once they're tooled then then you go into manufacturing the molds the painting then there's the packaging then so much of what you wait for is the shipping the containers from china on a big giant freighter that's coming over because any other way would just be too much in terms of cost and crush uh the the, the entire uh budget so so they have to come up come come from those freighters mostly from the china region and then they sh hit the ports here in uh southland it's always long beach um you know wherever else the different ports that receive the, sh the, the, the the packages from the freighter that have your favorite toys on them and then eventually within a matter of weeks they're making their way to the stores where they find the shelves where you find them and in this case Again, the X-Force toys were out in 1992. So I, I don't believe, I think I was at the tail end. I maybe was doing my last issues or I was doing covers, but I was no longer with X-Force and New Mutants. I had spent three years, um, almost 30 issues, interacting with all those characters earlier in this uh, entire podcast series. I talked to you guys about being a jackrabbit and how, how I was told by Todd, don't be a jackrabbit. Remember why you love people. It's because you had a place to find them every month. You knew that George Perez was on the Titans, John Byrne was on Fantastic Four or on the, on the X-Men. And so, so three years in now, I'm a toy designer, right? Okay, I'm putting air quotes on that. I'm smiling very, very big. I'm a toy designer. But the bottom line is these characters could not have gone further for me in a shorter distance, okay, in a shorter period of time. They're the number one comic book in America. Um, I mean, like I said, X-Force number two sold over a million and a half copies. I got that royalty check, okay? Um, our, 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 we had such a high launch that it settled at such a high mark. And so X-Force is now a top seller, bestseller, number one summer of 1991. And, uh, and now the toys are on the way. So you kind of have to wonder, like, what am I going to do for a follow-up? I had designed the externals. I had built out Gideon's story. I had given him all of my other biblical names from, you know, Saul and Absalom and on all these different characters to, to create the high Lords, this, this kind of, um, next level evolutionary chain of mutants that were deciding things over the ages. If this sounds like something you're reading now, it is, it, it has its tethers right in this moment. I think, um, several of my externals were sacrificed to make a tunnel in a, in a recent issue, but I think Gideon is still there kicking the, you can't kill Gideon. I think they've killed Gideon either out of malice or spite more times than they've killed him out of a clever storyline, but somehow a writer always knocks on the door and wants to revisit him. So I think that's what's going on currently. And again, watching these characters. And sometimes you guys, sometimes I hate what they do with them. I sometimes, I think some of these Deadpool stories are the dumbest stories I've ever read. They fall completely away from what Deadpool, um, what makes him work the best, where he is the most viable and, and, and where people enjoy him the most. But that's not my call. If they want to greenlit several years worth of the dumbest uh, Deadpool stories that's in their power. They've done it. Um, some of the cable stories I've read are absolutely um, ridiculous. Um, I, I wish they would give cable uh, the, 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 the treatment and the respect that you, the fans, have told me repeatedly again and again and again. And yeah, I'm speaking like a dad here. I'm speaking like somebody who who uh, has a passing interest in these characters. Someone who is not just, there's no just vapid interest. When somebody does a great version of a Cable, I, I dig it. I thought to this day, John Romita Jr. rose to the occasion. I left an outline behind for a cable miniseries. It was the one thing that I didn't get to do that I had plotted. I set that up, that cable two-parter. 
um, that John Romita Jr. illustrated so boldly was from a pitch that I gave to Marvel um, that I didn't hang around and finish. It's from an outline that I gave. Um, my outline was even more bold, daring. Um, I would I would even say innovative in that it went to different places than the 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 the, the series that you got was even more maybe contained and didn't take as many leaps in terms of. Uh, showing all of the different timelines that Cable was traversing with. But what you got was, in my opinion, John Romita Jr.'s best shot. He embraced the big, the double pagers. He would call it Kirby. That's cool because he wasn't doing that um, when when Kirby was alive, when he was a kid, and he was um, getting in under his father's tutelage because uh, John had been around and doing comics for about a decade, 15 years more uh, prior than, than 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 when I than when I broke in, or let's just call it a decade. And he was quick, and he did a lot of work. But what what Cable that um, miniseries reflects is my influence, and and it's okay if he can't say it. That's okay. I'll say it for him. Uh, you can call it Jack Kirby, but 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 again, Jack Kirby was doing comics the entire and 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 his his giant catalog of amazing works were around. Um, yeah, years and years before I hit the scene. So why wasn't he doing Kirby then? No, what he was doing was Rob Liefeld, and it was spectacular, and it was big, and it was bold, and it was some of the most uh, um, um, exciting John Romita Jr. ever, and that is an absolute fantastic representation of Cable and Kane and so many of my characters, the six-pack. Um, I, I, I created Bridge and Grizzly, all of them. Uh, really, really fun stuff. That, that miniseries brought a giant... Smile to my eye, even when I was, uh, to my face, when I was a competitor. I was a competitor at that point. I'm doing Image Comics, but that's exciting. I have a vested interest in these characters. I want to see them do well all the time. When, uh, here's one way that they have not failed, and I think we all know this, is in the merchandising that I spoke of that we've been receiving uh, all, tw all this year. Every cable toy, whether it's from Mezco, whether it's from Toy Biz, um, uh, the statues from Sideshow, uh, what whatever is coming out is the, the these figures Cable and Deadpool and Domino have never ever been better represented and they've been represented great their entire existence since those toys hit. But again, the thing with the toys is it's it's going beyond the art now. It's going beyond the art. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do as a follow up? I've got to start thinking of what I'm going to do as a follow up to X Force. And I've tried to tell people this: the idea of doing. Uh, uh, Fantastic Four, after you've had all these characters from your notebook become the bestseller, the, the idea of going and doing one of the um, Marvel uh, 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 canon characters, that one of their classic characters, wasn't as appealing to me because I've, I've also spoken of this many times. The, the door is open at this point. The Rob Liefeld design, the Rob Liefeld creations, the Rob Liefeld brand is wide open. It's also wide open for Jim Lee. It's wide open for Todd McFarlane. This is a moment in time that if we don't step through that door, and I've seen it with actors, I've seen it with, with, with athletes, when they don't step through that door at the, at the apex point of their appeal, then they will live in regret because those doors do not stay open forever. They're closing almost immediately after they're open and you only have a certain amount of time to go through that door creatively. And so um, I made the choice to start ex immediately uh, examining what my other options would be. But one year earlier, in the summer of 1990, and here's kind of one of those untold secret origin tales, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, and myself um, have been talking about doing some independent work. We're going to take our 
what our exposure from Marvel. We all came from independent comics. Uh, Eric Larson and I both came from Megaton Comics, the label out of Chicago by Gary Carlson. Jim Valentino had published Normal Man. He had done Myth Adventures. He came from underground comics, independent comics. This is what he digs. This is what he wants to continue to do. Guardians of the Galaxy is giving him a huge signal boost. Eric and I, we are having extremely big signal boosts. Um, we're all getting the Marvel label signal boost. And we are talking about maybe doing a side project, doing some side projects, some independent work. And Dave Ulbricht is the publisher of Malibu Comics. Malibu Comics is doing a small line of black and white comic books at this time. Um, we are aware of all of the publishers, whether it's, um, you know, Kamiko or whether it's Dark Horse. But Malibu, I dig, I really dug that there was a local Southern California publisher they were located in. Wait for it. Malibu. Okay. Malibu Comics. And Dave Olbrich was the best spokesperson that company ever had. If you've met Dave, he's affable, he's likable, he's lovable, he's smart. He's, uh, I don't know Dave's background. I just know that in the comic book scene, he has been always a really great force of positive uh, uh, energy and, and a great spokesperson for the art form. And certainly at Malibu Comics, he was their face man. He knew of our interest. He wanted to sit down and talk. We went to a barbecue joint. I remember that red and white checkered, uh, 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 you know, tablecloth uh, like it was yesterday. And we are smacking on barbecue ribs and chicken. And Eric is there, and we're just talking to him about what we what that we want to do a book together. Um, and and at the point, at this point, it was thought that maybe because of our deadlines, I would do half the book, and Eric would do another half of the book. Very much kind of a dark horse presents type style, uh, uh, shared, uh, shared responsibility, um, shared responsibilities in regards to, in regards to how we would split the chores on the book and, and, you know, half would be his, he'd get the cover one month. I'd get the cover the next. This is the the stuff that I remember Eric and I talking about because after this lunch with Dave Olbrich, where he's like, well, let's try and make this happen. Let's keep in touch. Let me see what I can do in, re in, in regards to giving you guys what you want, some compensation. Because again, I've mentioned this before, so much of what we did, the money that we made, the way that our lives were transformed were on the back of royalties. Royalties is, uh, is where so many guys in comics um, made it big. Dave Cockrum, who uh, was giant size X-Men number one, who helped launch this brand new age, this age that just uh, really engaged me and probably is the reason I have the career I do. Giant Size X-Men number one. I've talked to you guys about it. I saw it on the spinner rack. The X-Men, Giant Size, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler. Who are these characters? Punching right at me. That great Gil Kane, Dave Cockrum cover. That book is so brilliant. Dave Cockrum went on to do the next couple of years worth of X-Men before he stepped down and John Byrne came on and the book kind of hit a new um, level of heat and and, and had gener and and had, and had a new level of energy and that was all started by Dave Cockrum. But Dave will tell you that you know he didn't get royalties on those work. The royalty uh, shares weren't there yet, and they wouldn't have been substantial because the book still wasn't selling well. When John Byrne was brought on, it was because they were going to cancel the book again. X Men just wasn't catching. It was on a bi monthly schedule. But John Byrne came on, turned on the charm with his pencils, and got the book on a monthly schedule, and it became the number one book. Just in time for Dave Cockrum to come back, and that's the reason I'm telling you the story in 1980-81, and come on, and Dave stayed for another three years, and Dave Cockrum, who I was um, fortunate enough to meet with, hang with, license his characters on and off, 
Um, he did drawings in my sketchbook. I, he knows how much I adored him. He is a giant, a titan. Dave Cockrum, what a sweet man. Uh, rest in peace, my friend. You are such a, a, a literal artistic titan. From the Legion to the X-Men. And, and on his second run of X-Men, he got that royalty policy kicked in. He got a percentage of sales. He talked about how his life changed. Those royalties can just change everything. But up front, you're being paid a few hundred dollars to draw comic books a page, okay? Maybe a couple thousand dollars. And it's a good gig. You know, if you're if you're 18, 20, like I was, I had no family other than my mom and dad that I was trying to take care of. My sister is seven years older than me. She was off doing her own thing. I really wanted to take care of my, my mom, my dad. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. Those are different responsibilities. I didn't have those in my life. Okay, so when I could stand to live on $250 a page until royalties kicked in. So when Dave Ulbrich is talking to you, so again, Dave Cockrum got to taste it. After not tasting it the first time, he got to taste it with that second at bat with the X-Men. And, and, and he was like, wow. He even is quoted as saying when he left to do the Futurians, and this kind of makes me sad that, uh, that, that when the Futurians that he left to do the graphic novel and maybe do uh, a series with Marvel, that, that he actually would have done better for himself had he stayed on the X-Men because he left the X-Men to go do his own creator own project. And he, you know, again, when the bills are mounting, when the bills are piling up and you got to pay your mortgage, um, whatever is giving you the most flow as an artist gives you the most security to hit that page the next day and, 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 and draw with kind of more of a clear head as opposed to more like concerns over bills, right? Royalties uh, made all the difference in the world. Uh, again, I, I, when I started getting seven-figure checks, it was based on sales earned, okay? I got a piece of the books that I was working on and benefited from the sales. I didn't get to jump on a book, again, like New Mutants, that was already trucking. Remember, I made that book sing. That is not, that is not narcissistic. That is uh, absolutely factual. The book was selling... Low 100,000, 100,000 copies. It, it, it sells, when it's last issue, 1 million copies, three printings, a silver edition, a gold edition, a purple edition, because you bought it, because you enjoyed what I was doing. That's the benefit of royalty. So when Malibu Comics is telling me what they can do for us, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're talking about what kind of royalty split. And Eric and I were not looking for giant paydays. Oh man, we're gonna use our Marvel station, and Valentino wasn't either. To 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 to, we're gonna use our station at Marvel to shake down. No, it's just an opportunity, just an opening. I had done a few pages. They've never been published. I think I published. Uh, I shared one of them on a Facebook group. I was going to do a character called the Darkling, a solo character. And in fact, some of the sequence that you see in X-Force 2 mimics the opening that I had with the Darkling character, you know, at the docks on the crates attacking people in the same way that uh, Deadpool attacks Kane in the opening of X-Force 2. But a year prior, this was going to be a character called the Darkling, okay? And, a, and the Darkling was a spinoff character from a concept that I was going to do for Megaton called Youngblood. And those Youngblood pages, those sample pages, are what got, got me hired in comics. So think about that. Characters that I that I owned and I, I created, Youngblood, those samples are what we got, got what got me hired to do work for Marvel and in the work for hire business. So it's an interesting dichotomy that I would eventually come back to that. But Youngblood wasn't on the table at this point. It was this, because I'm thinking in 12-page increments, Eric's going to do 12, I'm going to do 12. Maybe Valentino's going to come in and build the book out, make it 48 pages. But the bottom line is, this is the germ of what was going on. This is the speck of the idea that would become Image Comics. Eric Larson came home with me for a few days following that 1990 uh, 
San Diego Comic-Con and he stayed with me in my sister's condo. She was going to be out of town. She had a cool pad. I loved it. Um, the problem was the air conditioning was broken. It was hotter than Hades when Eric came to stay with me. It was only a couple of days following um, that San Diego Comic-Con. I've always had tremendous respect for Eric. Um, I think what he does is phenomenal. The energy is always primary and f at most in his work. He is quite possibly the most disciplined uh, uh, artist, creator to come out of my peer group. Um, he is trudging towards, he's already passed 250 copies. There's no doubt he'll get the 300 copies of Dragon. And is it different publishing 300 copies than it is producing 300 copies? I don't know how you don't say, uh, uh, you know, absolutely, 100%, adamantly, yes. There are 300 Deadpool comics. I've benefited off each one. I did not publish them, but they were published. Um, I did not draw all of them, okay? But those were published too. But publishing a book and actually writing, uh, drawing, inking it as Eric has for going on, you know, 28 plus years is nothing short of phenomenal. He deserves all the accolades, all the praise. Um, I have always been a great admirer of his work. I think his Spider-Man work is fantastic. I will commit heresy and say that gun to my head, I prefer it over Todd's. Todd has a special place in my heart. They are the top echelon. It's like Steve Ditko is number one. No one is dislodging Steve Ditko in my head. But then it comes down to Eric is my second favorite Spider-Man penciler. Um, I just, I look back at those issues that he did following Todd on both Amazing and then the, um, the deluxe Spider-Man comic when Todd left which is so much of what we're going to get to here and, and, and kind of rounds this entire episode out is uh, I just loved what Eric was doing with the book. Uh, that, that I mean, given Spider-Man armor and guns and his beast crossover and the Sinister Six, the, I mean, Hulk, Ghost Rider, look at those books. They will blow you away. Eric was kind of living in Todd's shadow at the time those books were coming out, but I believe in the fans' minds, not in anyone else's minds, not in the peers' minds. We all thought, oh my gosh, but fans, they can be unforgiving. They decide, you know, that they like something the most and that the other guy is just second best um, out the gate and won't give him the shot. But Eric's stuff is phenomenal. You've seen it with these amazing Savage Dragon issues. And when, again, that Savage Dragon 250 mark writing and drawing and penciling your own comic is nothing short of phenomenal. It is amazing. Eric took over Spider-Man because Todd left. He left after our sabotage, sideways, awesome, massive crossover. I've discussed this with you guys recently. Now here's the deal. Where'd Todd go? Well, Todd was, um, his wife, Wanda, was pregnant with her first child and Todd had decided to take a break. He had also been running very hot um, for very long. He had been, like I said, he did bi-weekly comics. He took Spider-Man bi-weekly. He penciled and inked all his own work. He wrote, penciled and inked all his own work. He even did a crossover for DC at the time called Invasion. Like right when he got on Amazing Spider-Man, Todd had been running hard, fast. And again, you're getting your Spider-Man number one royalties by this time. By issue 12, Todd was getting his first, you know, major six-figure check. Six-figure dollar, you know, six-figure check, maybe 700000 800000 I don't know how it could be more than the check I got for X-Force because I sold millions of more, but mine was a million again, but those are piling up and they're coming every month. There's a, there's a part of the Godfather um, documentary which uh, where Francis Ford Coppola uh, speaks um, about the fact that once Godfather came out, a movie that the studio didn't even believe in, that once it was in cinemas, 
that a few a few weeks, maybe a month and a half later, he would start walking down his long driveway in Napa Valley to uh, to his mailbox, and there was regularly every week million millions of dollars in checks because of his participation in Godfather, and Godfather was tearing it up. There's a great book on this uh, period called Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. It dictates so much of this. They made a documentary of it that is not as good. The written word is so far superior in this case, but he would recount how suddenly his life was changing. The Godfather was pouring millions of dollars into him, and he would set up his own uh, Zotrope production companies uh, as, as a result. So Francis Ford Coppola... Uh, like George Lucas after him, used their money to set up companies that would fulfill their artistic visions. Well, Todd, when he quits uh, Spider-Man and goes offline for a year, uh, so he leaves in 1991 and does not return until summer of uh, 1992 with a new book, is, uh, is because he just took some time off. He recalibrated. But what was he doing? I know what he was doing. I'm going to share what he was doing. So much of this is not is lost is uh, that period that Todd goes dark and leaves Spider-Man. And, uh, and he's, he's, his wife is pregnant and they're just kind of chilling. Todd is pursuing his dream of getting into the sports, um, the sports cards business. And raise your hand if, as you're listening to me tell this, you've heard of front row trading cards. No, you haven't. That's because um, the NHL would ultimately not grant Todd the license. Lucky for you, I have an uncut sheet of front row trading cards. Um, you're like, what? Right now, what, what's 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 Rob talking about? Front row trading cards is uh, Todd's very ambitious uh, attempt to leave comics behind and go into the trading card business. He, when I first met Todd, he wanted to talk sports more than comics. Then the business of comics became, of course, the uh, primary topic. But Todd. Uh, came from a baseball scholarship in college. He wanted very much to be a pro baseball player. Um, there was a trading card set uh, that, that that came out about comic book creators. And, and, and Todd was boasting that he was going to imitate Jose Canseco, who had done a trading card with his shirt off, swinging the bat. And Todd McFarlane's, uh, famously, his, his, uh, his trading card in the creator the creator card series that this company did is him imitating that Jose Canseco shot with his shirt off and the bat and Todd's rolling with the cool physique and, and showing everybody that he's awesome and it's fun and it was cool and it speaks to Todd's love of sports that he would um, imitate Canseco and uh, and again, he loved baseball more than anything. We always want to talk baseball. Unfortunately, I was much more of, of an NBA guy but Todd McFarlane's a guy who reads all the sports pages, okay? He also loved, loved, loved hockey. Uh, early on after image started, I got a three year, uh, 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 whatever, a lease on one of the luxury boxes at what we called the pond of Anaheim. Um, I think it's called the Honda center. Now it's where the mighty ducks play. And, um, Todd's own wife would, uh, call me up and say, I'm sending Todd to, to watch some hockey with you. I wasn't even a big hockey fan. I got the box for all the concerts because they were bringing all the rock and roll shows. And they said that the Clippers were going to come play or an NBA play, NBA team. I've never been a hockey guy, so I can't pose like I'm a hockey guy. I respect the sport. I watch the Stanley Cup Finals. I always watch the 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 every sport I can watch in playoffs, right? But Todd is baseball and hockey are his absolute favorites. He was um, very interested with the raging success 
of all of the sports cards that was happening in the late 80s, early 90s. And obviously, Upper Deck is coming out and roaring to great success. You've already got Tops. You've already got all these other trading card companies. Todd was thinking that he would get a, uh, he would go in via hockey, via the NHL, and start a trading card company. I know so much about this because this is all Todd wanted to talk about during that one year. And he drew Wayne Gretzky, Eric Lindros, all of your great hockey um, stars. Todd did these uh, caricatures in his own unique style, and they're great, and you're going to see them. They're going to be on my website. Uh, I'll probably post a couple of the pictures on Twitter. Um, Todd, the idea was he would get the photo of Gretzky, right? on the cover and then on the back would be a full face drawing caricature of Todd McFarlane drawing Wayne uh, Gretzky. He did Trevor Linden. He did Mario Lemieux. Okay. These are um, Brett Hull. These are all the different um, uh, characters, not characters, real life sports hockey stars that he uh, would go out of his way to create a photo on the front and a, uh, and, and a Todd McFarlane drawing on the back. And you're going to see these because he, he made uh, one sheets because he made a presentation. Todd made it all the way to the NHL with this. I remember one day Todd telling me about, oh, bud, you can't believe the cost of buying these photos. I got to buy my own photos of Gretzky, of Hull, of Lindros, okay? And uh, and, and and how he would be sent all these photos. He's like, oh, I'm trying to, trying to pick the best the best photo and and then oh but you, you you can't believe what you gotta pay for this like like i gotta i got I, I, I gotta pay these ph- photographers for for these shots and the license and oh everybody's making money here you know because you got to get the license to use gretzky and then get the uh, shot from the nhl or the photographer but anyway todd puts together this ridiculously handsome set he did eight cards you'll see all of them again my uncut front row seat is kind of a, a time capsule now for a time that nobody knows of that that very few people remember because it was very much kept on the down low. Todd was looking to get into the trading card business and that was what he wanted to do and leave comics behind and go and do sports cards full time because he thought that this was his passion. He'd combined his art, which he had, which had made him rich and famous with also uh, 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 his passion of sports. So I'm talking to Todd as he's, you know, drawing these careful caricatures, you know, very McFarlaneized versions of Wayne Gretzky and Eric Lindros and Brett Hall and Lemieux, all these guys. And then as he's buying the photos and I'm living this with him because, you know, it's, it's, it's what his passion is during this time. Then drum rolls. He's going to meet with the NHL to make the presentation so that they can decide whether they're going to grant this first time guy his license. And you better believe I wasn't there, but I can only imagine the passion that Todd had. The product is great. It had it has silver foil on on the cards. I mean, on on the on the on the photography side, and uh, you know he was completely all in on doing front row. Now here's the funny thing. Todd told me, uh, <clears throat> "No, I come, you know, you know how I come up with the name front row." I said, "No." He goes, "Why?" Okay, I don't know if I can say this without laughing. Hang on. <clears throat> Why would you want to sit in the upper deck when you can sit in the front row? And I've never, ever, ever forgot how he said front row. So I just, 
I remember getting off the phone howling. This guy is the most entertaining guy in the whole history of entertaining guys, right? Especially in comics. Um, I mean, who, who would you... <laughs> Who'd you rather talk to, right? I mean, come on, Todd. I'm not going to put other names out there and disparage my I almost did. Um, I'm trying to be a more mature, uh, a 50-year-old. Uh, when, 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 when Todd goes, why would you sit in the upper deck when you could sit in the front row? So, so that was his pitch. He went to the NHL. He presented his pictures, his photos, his vision. He wanted to do front row. Um, and he's like, Robbie, if, if this goes forward, this will be my full time. And he even said, I'll get a set from you and from Jimmy. And I'll be hiring everybody to do cards. And I'll drag all of you guys into sports. Okay, so that was the plan. Except the NHL, the day that Todd got the call. Oh, but they turned me down. <laughs> the NHL said, um, not at this time. You know, not at this time. Try, try again later. Um, you know, it's like the Magic 8 ball. Uh you know, uh, ask again later. So, so, so Todd, um, the front row, uh, aspirations had to be parked to the side, but as you know, Todd would not stop knocking on that sports door. He would eventually get there with a far superior product, which is his, uh, action figures. These cards would have been great. That's not to, to far superior does not mean that the cards weren't top notch. They were, they deserved to be in the front row. Okay. But, uh, the action figures, I've always believed Todd deserves some special award because he changed the action figure business far more than he changed the comic book business with the tooling and the sculpting and the design work, the McFarlane toys um, that he, he should be, you know, Hall of Fame, have his own statue at some toy museum. Um, he deserves it. That, that That's where um, I believe his visionary uh, work has been the most resonant and has exacted the most change. But we would have lost him. There would be no spawn. Um, and there almost wasn't a spawn because Todd is not thinking that he wants to band together with his bunch of, um, you know, uh, chucklehead brothers, the L boys and, and, and do a comic label. When, when that was, uh, when the front row didn't happen and the NHL turned him down, Todd quickly pivoted to going, well, uh, you know, what, what, are you, what are you doing with this, this image stuff? Because image happened, and it happened with an ad that I, it's kicked it all off. I'm doing X-Force, and I decide I can't hold back anymore. I got to do my own characters. Um, you know, the summer of the spring of 1991, we had all done those Staber um, comic book videos, and, uh, and, and, and we had all gotten our own little you know, comic book spotlights, the whole idea was, and this is not the Stanley that you know now. It's funny when you guys talk about this. Stanley did not own Staber. Staber went to Stan and offered him because they said Stan is a really sweet guy and he kind of doesn't have anything to do at this point. Stan wasn't writing comics. There was no movies or TV going. Um, the animation stuff was still a couple of years away. The X-Men animated series wasn't happening yet. And they're like, well, would you agree to be hosted by Stan Lee? And, and I mean, this is a paying gig for Stan. Um, he's going to host all these different tapes. And and so, um, you know, we now have got VHS tapes where you watch us speak about our craft for an hour. So it's, again, it's not just comics. It's not just toys. You're getting a, a direct-to-video interview with Todd, with Rob, with Todd and Rob, with Todd, Rob, and Jim, Okay. And Staber went all in. Todd was, Stan Lee was the perfect vehicle 
as the godfather of comics at that time, again, way before any of the inevitable success would give him the biggest profile of his career. The Staber videos were like a paying gig. It was something that he got to um, join with the younger talent, the guys of the now. And it also made Stan more relevant. That is the pitch that was given to us by Staber Home Video. We're going to combine the new with the old and, and excite the fans. And, and, and there'll be great interviews. And they were really fun. But so we're already experienced this kind of breaking out. So it's not just toys. It's home videos. And so what's up next? Well, in behind... Actually, one of the Darkling pages that I spoke of is visible behind my Staber uh, comic book greats videos. And there is Youngblood stuff that is on those walls. And there is Executioners. What is the Executioners? So we will end today on a bit of a cliffhanger. So we've the front row has, has not been open for Todd. Front row is closed. He is not doing the sports cards that took up so much of his time when he leaves Spider-Man prior to him coming on and doing Spawn. Image Comics has not yet formed. It will start forming in the solicitations of February of 1992 because I had an itch and I had to scratch it. And again, there is a there's a reason that Youngblood sits alone as the only Image Comics solicited for April, for May, for June. Okay, um, that n no one's joining me yet because they all want to see the returns. I was the great sacrificial lamb. Um, I was again. I was again. I was the young kid who wasn't married and didn't didn't have kids. Um, who who's the the, the uh, seen as the most reckless uh, in, in regards to if I do something wrong and break some some eggs. I'm not gonna spill it on a whole lot of people. Again, I don't have a whole lot of responsibilities. I've already done extremely well with New Mutants, X Force, all these characters. But it starts with an ad that I put out a full page ad. In the comic book buyer's guide, which is long gone, but for two decades was the place you went for comic book news. And a full page, 11 by 17, because it folded out like a newspaper, 11 by 17 comic book buyer's guide ad got the attention. And I put an ad featuring my characters. You would later know them as the Berserkers. One of them is on the cover to my comic book greats. Wild Mane is the beastie. I don't mean beast like the X-Men. He's not blue, but he's kind of a, a feral looking character. His name's Wild Mane. He's on the cover of my comic book greats. There is the, uh, of course, Cross is in the middle. He is the leader of the Berserkers. Um, you know, uh, uh, Greylore. There's there's all sorts of uh, Psystorm. They're all on the in this Executioner's drawing. And I put it out. I create a uh, a logo, really cool logo, executioners. And, uh, I, from the creator of X-Force, right? Um, uh, I'm, I've got a new book, you know, executioners, the executioners is coming. It's a full page ad in the CBG. I didn't tell anybody about it. It was advertising a print. It was advertising the coming of a new comic book. And it was for no other reason that I was so super excited. And I wanted to start, um, you know, making my own stories that now I would own. And I just need to touch on this really quickly. So people, it's to this day on social media, people have this wrong idea of why Image Comics was formed. Image Comics was formed as for me, for Rob Liefeld, you're going to get seven different answers. It was formed for me as an opportunity for me to create more characters that I would then own 100%. Let's say 5% of Cable and Deadpool is good. And, and it is. You know, there are times... When 5% of a character I've created for Marvel is better than 100% of a character I own. It's just going to happen that way. But 
you, you, you definitely want to, at that point in time, and I, this goes back to the windows and the doors that are open that you got to walk through. If Cable and, 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 and Bridge and Gideon and Kane are getting toys, um, and you can say, but they were associated with the X-Men. Yeah, but X-Force was a completely different beast, and, and they got their own multiple lines, and those characters did not exist, and X-Force doesn't exist, and New Mutants was dying. So, so come on, give me, give me the credit I'm due here. I infused that book with all new energy, all new characters, all new ideas, all new excitement. And so now I'm thinking, for my next at bat, I probably want to try and own this and start building up a catalog. And what I'm most proud of is this immense catalog of characters that I have. And it all starts with that ad with the executioners. I mean, it starts with Cable um, and Deadpool and all those characters. But now I'm going to try and go a route where I can be the guy who's calling the shots on the toys, the cartoon, everything. That's the idea. We have dreams. When you are a creator in comics, you have dreams. This is the idea of me fulfilling my dreams. There's no guarantees, but I feel the heat is here. I need to keep pushing in a different direction. In fact, I have had people say that because the image guys did what we did, it created an added benefit of heat. And I don't think there's any way I can look back and argue on that. But we all have different answers. Todd's answer repeatedly was that he felt disrespected by Marvel and that they didn't give him a watch and that they didn't thank him. Uh, I've read all of it. That's his view. That's why he did it. He needed an enemy. He needed a bad guy. He needed an adversary. He needed an adversary. That's more, not a bad guy, an adversary. I just wanted an opportunity. I felt like, man, I should, I should completely own and, 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 and be in creative control. So the executioners ad in the CBG is my announcement. The executioners. It's a cool. It's a cool pick. It's a cool ad. Uh, I, I am uh, buddies with the guy who owns it. I get to go look at that piece of original art whenever I am holding that 11 by 17 that I penciled and inked. I am taken back to uh, that moment in time. I love that logo. I thought um, the Executioner's logo was cool. but And also, um, John Byrne was starting to do a book called Next Men, and he emphasized the X heavily. So I figured, Next Men, okay, that's coming out from Dark Horse. Well, I'll do Executioner's. It's only so many of these names that have X in them, right? So this is kind of cute, wink, wink. And again, uh, these the, the, the executioners are, are kind of space characters. They're more like the guardians of the galaxy. They're not even operating on Earth. There is no one with a robot arm. It's just my lead characters all have a bold visage. They have a bold look to them. But people go, oh, that's Cable. Uh, Cross and Cable don't look the same. Um, one has a giant bulky jacket, which is Cross, a big red bulky jacket. He's no, no, no soldier pads, no robotic arms. Um, wild main looks like nobody. Gray Lord looks like nobody. Um, it's just really funny that, that, that the immediate again, people go, well, I'm going to associate this with this. And certainly Marvel took it as a shot across the bow because when the executioners ad hits, I told you how Bob Harris called me at six o'clock PM because it's his time and it's three o'clock my time. I was used to those. What I wasn't used to was getting called early in the morning at 6 a.m., which is 9 a.m., obviously, uh, in, in New York City, and getting co- talked uh, with, told that the editor in chief, Tom DeFalco, and Bob Harris were on the line, and it was urgent that they speak with me. And they told me that, uh, Do I want to get sued? What are you doing? What's, what's this executioner's at? What's this about? You can't do this. And I'm I'm just waking up. The sand is still in my eyes. I'm like, huh, what's going on? And I, I literally just said, this is just something 
that I'm interested in doing. It's a side project. I'm going to, I figured I'd make a big splashy announcement. I bought the ad. I produced the artwork. I made the ad. And they're like, no, this is a big problem. You can't do this. That we see this as infringement. Um, they, and really the infringement is the X. They felt the X was infringing on them. And it was, I was told in no uncertain terms that that X was a problem. And that if I chose to go forward, that there could be legal ramifications. Marvel would be in a position to um, where they would be forced to sue me. Um, I don't know what was bluff. I just know I had some people I really liked who were upset with me. I understood why they were upset with me. I'm not going to act innocent. But I didn't, again, growing up in the echoes of where they can do Squadron Supreme and, more importantly, the Imperial Guard. I mean, the Imperial Guard is the Legion of Superheroes. We don't talk about it much. Look, for many years, Legion of Superheroes was the number two best-selling book for DC Comics. Top seller. They split it off. It got tons of spinoffs. Marvel, 100%, uh, the most blatant kind of echoes I've ever seen are the Imperial Guard who match up identically with the members of the Legion of Superheroes. So Executioners was just something that I thought was in the same vein. And if one could exist, why why could not another exist? So the the idea that uh, that that this would become a problem was not you know, something that I was aware of. But at the end of the day, I was given the ultimatum and um, threats. And this is probably, you know, maybe issue issue nine, issue 10 of X-Force. And uh, I said, hey, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to mess with, with that kind of payday and that kind of relationship that I have with Marvel, but it would pivot and things would change. And you have heard about the front row and there is so much more to come, whether it's the front row, whether it's, uh, the, the, the executioners, um, whether it's Eric Larson and I jamming together on a comic, the seeds have been planted. Things are changing. Image comics is inevitable. That was your secret, secret origin of image comics. I hope that you enjoyed it. Find me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. Love talking to you guys. I'm all over social media. Always say hi, continue to, uh, to come at me with your ideas and your feedback. I love it. Subscribe. Spread the word about observations. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Thank you again for walking down this path with me. So much more to come. Please take care of yourself. Uh, be safe. And we will talk again soon.